Today on Ag News Daily. What we have right now is because of unprecedented consumer demand and stock up trips, some imbalance in the supply chain. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Another Ag News Daily podcast here on Wednesday, March 25th, joined by Madison Honkamp, a voice we haven't heard in quite some time. But Madison, you are on quarantine from school, and so you've got a little extra time in your schedule to do some co-hosting this week. Yes, definitely. Iowa State has sadly decided to do online classes for the rest of spring semester, so I'm just at home in winter today trying to learn online. Which, you know, can kind of be a problem. I know where I live, I've got some pretty, well, pretty spotty rural internet. And I know there in Winterset, Madison, that's a pretty rural area as well. And that's a concern I would think for students is that what about our internet connection? I know if I were in college still and was living at my parents, there was no way I would be able to do any sort of an online class. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing for students that don't really have internet connection. I know for me, if I'm like doing our lecture through WebEx or anything, I have to like text my brother and say, hey, get off the internet because <laughs> it's not loading and I need it to. Um, so like that's the only really issues I've been running into. But I, I mean, I haven't even asked anybody who doesn't have internet or has like trouble getting data really to see how it's going for them absolutely well we're in challenging times but Mm -hmm. because of these challenging times madison we've seen congressional leaders have reached an agreement on a two trillion dollar economic package unfortunately it doesn't include focusing on rural internet as part of that package but there are a lot (laughs) of other components that are important pieces of this economic stimulus package Yes, definitely. And I know I did see that um, one of the chairs for the Senate Ag Appropriations Subcommittee did say that he really expects USDA to craft an aid program kind of going off of this stimulus package. So that'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. And I think this will either push MFP to a later date or also include MFP payments. Yeah, absolutely. So this $2 trillion economic stimulus package provides about $14 billion to replenish the CCC account, which would go to another MFP Mm -hmm. 3.0 here in 2020. Other important components of that $2 trillion economic stimulus package, specifically components important for agriculture, will include... About $9.5 billion for livestock and specialty crops such as fruit, vegetables, and nuts. This was really geared because so many cattle producers came forward, wrote letters to the USDA and the administration and said, look, we're not making enough money. The packers' margins still remain pretty great. But you look at live cattle on the board and prices have been diminishing really since January. So we've seen about $9.5 billion awarded to folks working in those industries. Also, another $9.5 billion will be earmarked for dairy producers and, quote, local food systems who have been harmed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, I don't know what that, quote, local food systems entails. My 
assumption or guess would be things like farmers markets or local grocery stores, but they didn't really add a lot of clarity to what that part of the package will be earmarked for specifically. We also saw quite a bit of money dumped into the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise known as SNAP, as well as child nutrition programs, and a lot of focus on food nutrition and assistance packages. We also saw a little bit of money associated with telemedicine and teleservices as we continue to see people under quarantine for an indefinite amount of time. So part of this stimulus package will also be focused on being able to rehabilitate businesses who were previously brick and mortar and maybe need to transition more so to being tele or online. So... Yes, definitely, which I think is really important during this time, especially since people are recommended, you know, stay isolated, don't go out in like social distancing and don't go out too much and just really trying to stop the spread of this virus. Absolutely. Stopping the spread of this virus is the main focus. But Madison, taking our mm -hmm. attention away from COVID-19 here for just a moment, I want to turn our attention to another issue that we've been following pretty heavily on the podcast here, and that is what's been going on with the 10th Circuit Court case. A deadline has just approached to appeal that ruling to strike down those waivers that were filed within the 10th Circuit Court case. Those were three different refinery exemptions that we saw the courts, the Tenth Circuit Court struck down. And so now moving forward, the Trump administration has missed the deadline to appeal it. So it ap appears at this point in time that this will be kind of a national mandate. And Administrator Wheeler went on to share with reporters that this really means that the administration doesn't plan on petitioning the Supreme Court for an appeal. And he said that, quote, abiding by the court's ruling is the right thing to do at this time when our industries and rural America are already suffering from the effects of COVID-19, the Saudi-Russia oil price war, and ongoing trade disputes. So this appears to be a win for U.S. biofuels. And we saw the National Biodiesel Board, as well as the Renewable Fuels Group's applaud that the administration did not go forward with an appeal, keeping in place then what we saw ruled in the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, which is essentially if you file a small refinery waiver, you let that waiver lapse for a year or two, and you then you retry to file as an extension that is not allowed under the 10th Circuit Court's ruling. Yes, I also saw that, and I think that'll be kind of good going forward. Maybe obviously we'll still keep our eye on it and see like how that is going to play out. Absolutely. But you know, as we're talking about ethanol prices, oil prices, etc., I am just amazed at the price I've seen as of lately at the, at the gas pump. I believe here in central Iowa, Northeast Iowa, we were at about a dollar 60, a dollar 80. And that seems pretty cheap mm -hmm. for gasoline, Madison. Yes, definitely. I know my dad and I went and, you know, filled all of our cars to so that we could just get it done all at once. And I think it was 175 a gallon. And I know we have seen a huge drop in gasoline demand. Um, well, honestly, just because of this whole COVID-19 situation 
And I did see that this is the highest or the biggest decline since about September 2019. And um, the weekly gasoline demand has actually dropped 859,000 barrels per day. So that's so kind of um, ending to 8.8 million gallons or barrels per day um, just last week. Yeah, crazy stuff, but people are not getting out there and driving, mm-hmm. which, you know, that uh, continues to impact our oil prices. Madison, yeah, it definitely does. I had just one other piece of news before we check out the commodity markets for today. Looking at, again, corn export sales, USDA released today that there was another flash sale of about 138,000 tons of corn sold to an unknown destination, which we assume is probably China. But uh, just goes to show you that if it is indeed China, they are coming to the table. They are snapping up commodities, rebuilding their stockpiles, probably because they understand that COVID-19 may have some long impact in our global commodities and in our global economies. Yes, definitely. And I did see an article that my dad actually sent me. Of course, I'm not going to be able to find it now. But the Chinese government was encouraging their citizens to, or encouraging local governments to kind of help their citizens to really stockpile the poultry and aquaculture products to, again, help their produce, their production, and even um, really the global economy kind of get a little bit of a boost, I guess. I'm not really sure. Um, obviously, I don't know for like verbatim what that article is saying, but I thought that was really interesting also that they are trying to help oh, a yeah. little bit. That makes sense. They are mm-hmm. good at stockpiling commodities. We know that for sure. Hey guys, in case you didn't know, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, we have Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Neg talking about Iowa's water quality progress and Charlie Arnott of the Center for Food Integrity sharing the most effective ways for farmers to respond to the challenge of imitation meat. The episode also includes interviews with a group of Iowa farmers who recently completed a tour of Brazil's agricultural sites and infrastructure. So if you'd like a first-hand account of what's happening in a country that's one of our biggest competitors, you want to make sure you catch that episode. You can find it and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. All right, Madison. Well, with that, let's take a look at those commodity market prices. Wheat happened to be the big winner for today. 
Starting off, though, in the May corn contract, we saw it close up a penny and a quarter to end at 348 and a half. The July up a penny and a half to close at 353 and a half. In the soybean pits, weakness today as the May contract shed five and a quarter cent to close at 881 and a half. The July closed down two and three quarter cents to end at 884 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, as I mentioned, huge growth today on the May contract, putting on 18 and a half cents to close at 580 even. While the July up 12 and a half cents to close at 567 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock markets, live cattle contract closed up $2.30 to close at 108.45. The June shed 70 cents to close at 96.32 and a half. In the feeder cattle, mixed trade continues as the March contract added $1.85 to close at 132.07. The April shed $1.35 to close at 128.72 and a half. Weakness in the lean hog pits for today as the April contract shed 57.5 cents to close at 65.85. The May shed 75 cents to close at 65.12 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures. I also want to add here dairy folks. They are debating right now whether or not the dairy margin coverage program is going to be reopened because we saw so few producers sign up for that program this year. Now amidst some of the COVID-19 interruption to our markets they are considering reopening that sign up process so we'll keep you posted on that but looking at today's commodity prices the march contract gained two cents to close at 1628 the april shed 12 cents to close at 1596 now for today's interview i had a great discussion mike and i had a great discussion with a few folks from the national pork board bill even and angie krieger Well, we are joined today by Bill Evans, CEO, and Angie Krager, VP of Domestic Marketing for the National Pork Board as we continue to discuss how COVID-19 will impact the agricultural industry. Thank you both for joining us today. Bill, I want to turn to you first. As CEO of National Pork Board, I'm sure you get to talk to many producers within the pork industry. What are you hearing as far as their concerns go for this COVID outbreak? Hi, Delaney. Thanks. And again, uh, Bill Even, your CEO at the, at the National Checkoff in Des Moines, Iowa. What we're hearing from producers kind of fall into probably three buckets. Uh, the first is, how do I make sure that my employees, uh, folks on the farm, are safe and healthy so they can continue to care for the pigs? Um, you know, biosecurity at, at the farm level is nothing new. Our, our producers and our farms are doing uh, very much the same thing that everybody else in America is doing. But the good news is, is we're very accustomed to doing really good biosecurity and sanitation. Uh, this just kind of takes it up a notch because uh, we want to make sure that uh, we keep a regular cadence of uh, people there working on the farms. But not only that, the truck drivers, the people in the feed mill, and then certainly the packing plants. So that leads me to the second piece that we're generally hearing from producers is making sure that the agricultural supply chain from the farm all the way to the grocery store keeps working. So the good news on that is uh, yesterday, which would have been Thursday, the federal government and the Department of Homeland Security announced uh, kind of the general rules for critical infrastructure in the United States. And agriculture, kind of from uh, nose to tail, uh, is included in the list of critical infrastructure. So what this really means is that uh, if you're working on a farm, if you need to drive feed truck or uh, haul hogs, 
if you're a veterinarian, if you're working in a packing plant, or you're the delivery truck taking food to the grocery store, uh, all of those people will be able to continue to work, continue to move, continue to drive, as we see some states uh, put in place uh, maybe what they call kind of a shelter in place or stay home for the time being while we get this uh, sorted out to lessen the spread of the COVID-19 infection. And then the kind of tied on in all of that is just people are just really watching the markets. Um, whether it's commodities or the stock market, we've seen incredible volatility. And when you think about uh, lines of credit necessary for margin calls and things of that nature, uh, we've got producers uh, working closely with their banks. Uh, very dynamic situation to say the least, but uh, the main takeaway is here at the checkoff, uh, we are actively involved then in providing help and assistance and information. Uh, we're committed to being a resource to producers, uh, but as well as the supply chain and then on out to consumers. And I think my question, Bill, goes right to that second bucket. It's great that we've got agriculture declared as essential infrastructure. I think that should mitigate a lot of fears, but there is still the concern that an employee of a packing facility could come down with this virus and that would potentially cause the plant to close. What have you heard? How are the packing, how is the packing industry uh, working to safeguard that aspect of, uh, of biosecurity? Thanks, Mike. And actually, uh, I just got off a conference call here this morning with the North American Meat Institute. And that's the uh, trade association for the packing and processing industry. And that's certainly uh, one of the top line questions that uh, the people running our processing industry are focused on. Uh, generally speaking, that when you're in critical infrastructure status, the main thing is that it's not necessarily about shutting down the plant, but rather uh, helping uh, the person that may be ill uh, and anybody that working around them and making sure that they're taken care of. Because ultimately, this is not about stopping and starting production lines, but really ensuring continuous operation. And uh, whether it was, the, you know, for example, the Port of Houston was uh, closed for a little while yesterday as they dealt with someone that was ill, and they quickly got it stood back up again. I think as a nation, we're starting to get a better handle on the fact that how do we keep operations running rather than starts and stops? And I think the other piece on that, Mike, is, you know, you look at the packing industry, uh, food safety and sanitation have been uh, top line for them for over 100 years. And the way you clean a plant every day to make sure that uh, it's, uh, the food is safe and protected from pathogens, that goes a real long way to making sure that the plant itself and the people in it are also operating in a really clean environment. So much like our production at our farms and how we clean and sanitize our buildings and so forth where we raise the pigs, uh, the food industry has uh, similar protocols. And uh, the same thing applies to the handling of shipping of whether it's fruits and vegetables as well and getting them to the, to the retailer. And Bill, you mentioned that right now agriculture is deemed one of the essential functions that isn't subject to social distancing or shutting down. But is that a concern that at some point, you know, at a national level, we could see the administration ask for all folks to shut down highway transportation, meaning lack of feed source and or lack of being able to move hogs from facility to facility? No, I don't really see that being uh, being an issue. You know, fundamentally, um, 
that that just it's unworkable. And so I think the reason that the Department of Homeland Security and the federal government really have developed these lists of critical infrastructure, people recognize, hey, you've got to keep the power on. You've got to keep the water running. Uh, you've got to keep uh, the telephone and Internet operating since we're many of us are now working from home. But, you know, agriculture uh, cannot work from home. Uh, we're not we don't have the luxury of being on a laptop and working from our kitchen table and no different than if you're in a feed mill or in a hog barn or in a packing plant or driving a truck. And so uh, certainly then the, the onus on that comes back to the companies and the individuals to just follow good CDC guidance. It's about social distancing. It's about disinfecting your trucks and equipment and uh, facilities, about washing your hands and following those uh, guidelines. Ultimately, uh, we're going to get through this. Uh, America, the good thing about us is we're, we're pretty good at uh, adapting and improvising and overcoming. And we're, we're kind of working on these things day by day. But that's one thing that your checkoff is here for is to be that resource when you've got questions. And so what we put in place, Delaney, is at pork.org, if you go to our home webpage uh, last Friday, so a week ago, we put up a page that has good links to good, credible information, and we're adding to it all the time as more information flows out of Washington, and we see some different procedures and policies come into play. And it's getting that information, kind of that final mile, that last mile to the consumer that is important. We've also got Angie Krieger on the line. Angie, we didn't forget about you, but just thinking about the marketing challenges that the pork industry has faced just in the last year, going from African swine fever and the outbreak in in, uh, Southeast Asia to now coronavirus or COVID-19, what are you doing? How is the National Pork Board working to still confirm? firm to consumers that this is a very safe product that we're producing, whatever might happen in a plant or in a truck or, or even on an individual producer's operation if, if there were to be an outbreak somewhere, how are we still maintaining that consumer's trust? Yeah, thanks, Mike, and thanks, Delaney, for having us today. You, uh, Mike, as you said, we're always actively promoting U.S. pork for our producers. So our goal at the checkoff is to make sure that consumers have the information they need based on uh, their particular needs. And at this time, we have seen unprecedented change in how consumers are shopping. And so our focus right now is, in addition to assuring consumers that our products are safe and and nutritious, that we give consumers the best access they have to simple and easy pork preparation ideas. So uh, we're really focused on messages about the versatility of pork. Consumers are home. Um, We mentioned earlier working from home. It's it's imperative that the Internet work because so many more people are doing that. Their kids are home from school. They're preparing three meals a day for more people than they've prepared for in the the recent months or years. And so we're going to share ideas with consumers about how to cook once and eat twice or more with pork, highlight the convenience of cooking pork, and really um, help our consumers understand how they can stretch their food dollar with our pork products. And we also want to drive home that message about um, pork being family friendly. So we all have a lot to worry about right now. Um, Every day, it seems the the feed on the phone just continues to roll with new information. And so um, we want folks to spend this time um, with their families in an enjoyable way, not worrying about what they're going to cook. So we will just continue to give them all those great recipe ideas and uh, give them ideas on how they can have their kids help prepare those meals as well. 
And Angie, I mean, needless to say that pork and beef and animal proteins have been flying off the shelves over the past couple of weeks here. So it appears that consumers, you know, maybe said at one point in time they don't want to eat meat or they're more supportive of plant-based proteins. But then in crisis times like these, they go back to the basics. They buy what they know. They buy animal protein What are you seeing on your end as far as the concern that perhaps we would run out of pork protein during this crazy time? Yeah, Delaney. Well, I can assure you we have a plenty of pork. Um, we've, I've seen many pictures. We have channel marketing associates across the country who are working with retailers on a daily and weekly basis, but, um, they've been visiting those stores and we've seen the pictures as well, um, where the meat case is empty. What we have right now is because of unprecedented consumer demand and stock up trips, some imbalance in the supply chain where our retail stores uh, are, are empty of pork and other meat products, but there's uh, products that were intended for food service channels and especially casual dining restaurants where they've been closed. Um, they, they can still have takeout or delivery, but they're just not having the traffic that they would. And so we at the checkoff um, with the relationships that we have with retail and food service are al- also helping to make those connections to get the pork products in the right channel at this point. That just takes a little bit of time. Um, the, the pivot has been pretty sharp um, and we're working through some of those logistics issues, but I'm rest assured there's plenty of pork. Well, that's a good thing. Go, go out there and buy some pork, stock up on that protein. Bill Evan and Angie Krager, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks much. Thank you. Well, again, a big thank you there to Bill and Angie. Sounds like, folks, we shouldn't be concerned that the entire pork production system will shut down, but there are still some things to consider amidst this COVID-19 mass confusion, Madison. Yes, definitely. I would agree. This is all like new territory for everyone, really. Absolutely new territory indeed, but not new territory here on the Ag News Daily Podcast to cover important topics like these. We've been doing it for over (laughs) three years now. Crazy to think. If you want to get caught up on any of our past episodes, head to agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.